The Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book One, Plan B Revised. Chapter Six, For Lack of Easy Options. Martin and Susan emerged from the tree-lined cocoon of suburban Stoneham back to the stark landscape of small stores, garish signs, and parking lots. Ah, here we are, Route 28 again. Do you want to rest? Martin was hoping she would say no, so they could make better time. The chances of his making it to that golf course before dark were looking slim. That would be nice, thanks, she said. That was not what he wanted to hear. Martin tried not to let out an exasperated sigh, but he must have. Only a short one, Susan quickly added. I'm sorry I'm slowing you down. I know you're eager to get home. Martin winced. Why was being a jerk so easy? Yes, he was eager to get home, but at least he had one. She didn't. He turned to look her in the eye. Hey, I don't mean to sound impatient or walk too fast. Sure, I want to get home as soon as I can, but that's not important. I said I would help you find a place. If I said it, I'll do it. I won't just take off and leave you without some place safe to stay. She looked away, but he moved over to catch her eye again. Getting you situated comes first, understand? I'll get home eventually. I'm not worried about that. So, don't go feeling bad about slowing me down, okay? Susan didn't say anything. She continued looking at him with sad, puzzled eyes, which made him uncomfortable. <clears throat> well, how about we have a snack while we rest, eh? We can enjoy some of our five-dollar crackers. At that price, they've got to be good, right? His attempt at levity did not erase his jerk damage as he had hoped. She still looked sad and puzzled. The crackers, being stale, didn't help. Neither did washing them down with iron water. They walked up 28 in silence, longer than Martin felt comfortable. Normally, he was fond of silence, but unredeemed jerk silence was harder to take. He tried again to restart a conversation. Have you noticed all these shops we pass along here are for a service of some kind? Nail salon, hairstylist, gourmet coffee, travel agent, custom curtains? So, she said. It was just a monosyllable, but it was better than silence. Back to your point about jobs, I suppose somebody could paint nails or cut hair without electricity, he pointed to a pair of store signs. Cuts for less and nails by Nina. But would they have any customers? If food gets scarce and water costs five bucks a glass, are you going to spend what little cash you might have for someone to paint your nails or style your hair? Probably not, said Susan. Speaking of food, there's a stop and shop up ahead there. See the sign? Susan pointed to a distant sign on the left. Hopefully they'll have more than just olives and artichoke hearts. Or just one box of crackers. As they walked across the parking lot, they could see a long line of people in front of the building. A man with a bullhorn was addressing the line, although he was talking too close to the mic. All Martin could hear was some inarticulate buzzing. He turned to comment on this to Susan. I can't make out what he's... Martin began, but he stopped. Hey, you're limping. Are you okay? Oh, it's nothing. Just a little tired. Martin raised one skeptical eyebrow. Susan pointed to the store. What's that guy saying? I caught something about letting only five people in at a time, and something about cash only. The rest was gibberish. 
Oh, you caught more than I did, said Martin. I didn't make out anything. As they neared the store, two employees with flashlights opened the doors. Five women came out, blinking in the bright gray morning. The carts they pushed contained only a few boxes or a bag. Hmm, were the shelves already picked clean, Martin wondered? Was that all they could find? Or had prices gone up so much that was all they could afford? Bullhorn Man began his spiel again. His words were still buzzy, but at least decipherable. For safety reasons, we only allow five shoppers in the store at a time. Please wait your turn. Everybody will get a turn. Remember, everyone, we are setting a $50 limit for each shopper. This is to ensure that everyone will get some groceries. We are accepting cash only. Cash only, ladies and gentlemen. We have no way to process debit cards or credit cards. I guess we should get in line, said Martin, just in case they have anything left on the shelves. From the length of the line, we could be here for more than an hour. But this is slowing you down, even more, said Susan. True, but you'll need something to eat in your hotel room. I'll need something for the road. It's a calculated trade-off. I'm kind of regretting not buying some of that candy back at Andrew's store now. Martin and Susan took their places at the end of the line. Martin did not like the delay. He would have to make extra good time to reach his golf course woods before dark. He comforted himself with the prospect of some more substantial food that that would be worth it. Knowing that Susan would have some supplies was a consolation, too. The manager continued. Okay, next five. Step up to the door. You, in the blue, yes, you. Step up, please. Have out your IDs, ladies and gentlemen. It will speed things along. IDs? Susan asked. Stoneham residents only. You must have a photo ID with a Stoneham address. No exceptions, I'm afraid. Stoneham residents only, please. Well, that stinks, said Martin. That leaves out both of us. A few other people grumbled loudly and slowly pulled out of the line. They drifted out to join a sort of Kuiper belt of the have-nots beyond the orbit of the haves. Can they do that? Susan's voice had a hint of outrage. How can they sell to some people and not to others? Well, on a certain level, it kind of makes sense. Sense? Susan was clearly miffed. Well, kind of. The store managers here are probably trying to head off panic buying and make sure that their local community gets what there is before it runs out. Runs out? This is a huge store. True, but even so, what they have in there now won't last long without trucks bringing more. A couple of years ago, we did an inventory app for Atlantic Grocers to help them coordinate orders between warehouses. The suits at AG wanted to trim what they called excess stalled capital and excess elasticity. Products sitting in warehouses were a bad thing, apparently. Our little app worked nicely for them, order in the evening, and have it come on a truck the next day. I learned how most stores keep only three days' worth of food on the shelves, mostly as a cushion for demand spikes. That's assuming normal demand. Smaller stores don't even keep that much on hand. It's often hand-to-mouth, or truck-to-shelf, every day. No one ever sees empty shelves because the trucks keep coming. But if the trucks don't come... But if the trucks don't come, this place will be picked bare in just a few days or less. Probably won't even find a jar of olives. Well, I don't think it's fair. 
Martin steered the frowning Susan beyond the semicircle of disappointed onlookers, who either had no cash or proper ID. They watched the five-in, five-out routine for another cycle. Susan maintained her scowl of disapproval, arms folded tightly across her chest. Leaning on his walking stick, Martin glanced around. He noticed a wide band of pavement that went around behind the building. Hmm, hey, I've got an idea to check out. Come on, no point in standing here anyway, right? What idea? They rounded the corner of the building. Martin pointed to the dumpsters beyond the loading docks. Dumpsters! That's your idea? Trash? Oh, not trash. Treasure! Well, maybe. It's worth checking out anyhow, Martin said with a sparkle in his eye. Back when I was in college, my roommate and I had a very lean winter one year. I was washing dishes at the restaurant only part-time. Doug got laid off from his logging crew that winter, so we had to get creative. We would go dumpster dive at the supermarket across the highway. Sometimes it was pretty rancid, like slimy lettuce day, but Sunday nights were usually good. That's when they'd throw away the out-of-date stuff before the big truck came on Monday mornings. One of us would stand watch, the other would dive. Some nights it was woohoo mama and we'd be set for a week. Other times, meh, nothing but cardboard. You ate out of dumpsters? Susan stuck out her tongue as if she had swallowed a bug. Martin briskly walked past a big green dumpster container. Of course not. We took it home to eat it. Aha! Martin said louder than he expected. Just like I thought, he softened his tone to be a bit more stealthy. We hated it when stores started using these compactor dumpsters. Not only couldn't we get in, it crushed everything into mush. But the compactor on this bad boy is electric, too, so they can't squash all the discards as they usually would. A big pile of white trash bags lay piled up against the side of the dumpster. Martin waded into them, rolling them over with his stick. Doug had this amazing sixth sense for which bags had good stuff inside. I wasn't as good. Hmm, not this one. Squishy produce. Martin carefully turned a bag over and his eyes darting from bulge to bulge. You keep a lookout, okay? Let me know if you see anyone coming. Managers get kind of testy about people rummaging through their trash. Susan looked around nervously, uncomfortable with her sudden role as trash accomplice. Martin continued to pull bags, studying the shapes beneath the white plastic. Ah, this one. Martin cut a small slit in the trash bag. Dairy case. Looks promising. Meh, yogurts. Shoot, they're all broke open. Sour creams? Eh, dips too. What do they stomp on this bag? Ah, wait, cheese! He thrust his hand in and pulled out several small yellow bricks and stuffed them in his coat pocket. He peered deeper into the bag. That's all, he said to the bag, then cast it aside. He pulled at a nearby bag. I would have thought there was more. Oh well, a couple for me, a couple for you. It's something, anyhow. The next bag was obviously heavy. Oh, milk case! He held up a half-gallon jug as if it were a trophy trout. Susan made a sour face. It, it sat out all day and, and yesterday. It's bad. Maybe, maybe not. Martin twisted off the cap. He took a big gulp. His throat flinched closed at the tart flavor, but he forced the swallow down. Okay, it's ah, on the edge, I'll admit, but I've drunk worse and lived to tell the tale. He took another long swig and forced it down, too. Then he turned it over and poured out the rest. What are you doing? Susan could not make sense of his actions. Well, I would have offered you some, but I was sensing that you didn't want any. He smiled impishly. Of course not. 
Actually, I just wanted the container. Bottles of water are scarce, but milk bottles, on the other hand. He emptied a second bottle and climbed out of the debris field of trash bags. One for me, one for you. Now what we need to find is a, ah, there, a hose faucet. He rinsed out the jug several times before filling them. Voices arose from the corner of the building. Some of the crowd had followed them and discovered the trash pile. Yeah, we better get moving, said Martin. Now that others know about the trash, it won't take long before a manager comes back here and makes a stink, <laughs> so to speak. He chuckled at his accidental wit. Susan did not look amused. They walked out from behind the building, out of the parking lot exit. The buzzing bullhorn was still engaged in crowd control. Martin studied his map. This should be William Street, only a mile or so to go. His feelings brightened. His protracted good deed was almost done. He could start making faster time. Soon, Susan would have her room with her door, and she would not have to worry about spending night in the woods again. He looked back at Susan to share that tidbit of optimism, but his smile dropped away. Okay, you're limping badly now. Oh, it's nothing. I'll be fine. Aha, uh -huh. I don't think so. Martin stopped to face her. Is this why you kept falling back? Really, it's no big deal, see? She tried to stride past him at an even pace, but grimaced sharply with each left footstep. No big deal, Martin grumbled. You've got a blister, and probably a big one. Come on, sit over here on the grass. I'd better take a look at it. Susan took a step back. No, 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 it'll be okay. I just need a little rest. It'll get better. Rest a little? If you've got as bad a blister as I'm thinking you've got, you'd have to rest for days before it got better. I'm sure it's not as bad as all that. If it's burst already, and you keep rubbing it around in there, it'll get infected and become an even bigger sore. Do you want that? Martin's hopeful plans for covering many miles yet that day were fading fast. Susan frowned at the ground. Martin tried to dial back his irritated tone. Look, I didn't mean to sound all pushy. It's just that you have to take care of the little problems, like blisters, before they turn into really big problems. He slung his backpack around onto the grass and dug in the front pocket. I've got some little first aid things in here. Come on, sit over here on the grass. He patted the ground. Slowly, Susan sat where he indicated, but kept both feet close together and nearly tucked underneath her. Um, I'm going to need your foot for this. Martin held his hand out. In his mind, he began to replay earlier events. She had been standoffish about changing shoes. Now she was in blister denial. He wondered why. A sudden rush of awkward feelings engulfed him. What if she had a deformity? What if she lost toes due to frostbite from some skiing accident? What would that look like? Or what if she had webbed toes from birth? What would that look like? Well, a deformity would explain her avoidance. Embarrassing her felt like a huge breach of chivalry. Yet there he was, insisting that she take her shoe off. Still, it was obvious that she needed some medical attention. Martin vowed that he would be considerate and understanding. She had a blister. It needed tending. Even after she was safely in the hotel, she would have to walk everywhere she had to go. And he wouldn't be there then, so the least he could do now was to patch her up, fix her blister before they parted ways. He decided to steal himself for whatever her deformity was. He wouldn't show any surprise or shock. Just a dispassionate doctor face. At least, he hoped so. It'll be okay, Susan. I just need to treat your blister. 
You'll feel better afterward. He tried to sound like doctors he had seen on television. She extended her left foot, but turned her head away. Was it so bad that even she can't bear to look at it? Martin gently lifted her foot and laid her calf across his lap. Carefully, he unzipped the short boot and worked the opening wide so it wouldn't rub on the blister as he pulled the shoe off. The boot slid off easily. Her sock was wet on the instep. Little patches of blood spotted through the white sock just behind her big toe. Mmm, just what I thought, Martin said in his best dispassionate doctor voice. A burst blister. Looks like a big one. I'll, um, have to take your sock off. Susan's eyes flared wide and tragic. Well, I have to. Martin temporarily fell out of character, but recovered his doctor voice. Um, I have to put a bandage on it. It is the only way to help it heal. She bit her lip and closed both eyes tight. He took that as approval, of sorts. So he started to slowly roll down the sock. He determined that no matter what was wrong with her foot, he would say nothing. He was going to focus on the blister and treating just that. His imagination would not leave him alone, however. What if her father ran over her foot with a lawnmower when she was little, and the doctor sewed on the chopped-off bits? Would she have big Frankenstein scars? <laughs> he would say nothing. Focus on the blister. As he rolled the sock over the heel and down to the toes, he was careful not to let it pull or rub on the sore. Susan squeezed her eyes shut tighter and turned her face away. Martin paused took a breath. He would not comment on whatever it was. He would be a seasoned battlefield medic. He rolled the sock off. Oh, for crying out loud, Martin half shouted. What? There is nothing wrong with your foot. I mean, well, yeah, you got a nasty blister, but your foot is normal. It's normal, his tone was accusing. Huh? Geez, wheeze, he ranted. The way you were carrying on, I was beginning to think you had hooves or franken-something. She looked confused. Oh, for God's sake, this is just a plain foot, he said. You had me all worked up, thinking that you... Oh, never mind. Why were you making such a big deal? I don't like my feet. Don't like your feet? What? You're attached to them. What has liking got to do with it? He held her foot up as if selling it to her. This is a perfectly fine, normal foot. What's not to like? I just don't like feet, especially mine. Martin rolled his eyes and muttered to himself, oh, That's just weird. To Susan, he said, Hand me that little towelette pack there. Let me get this area cleaned up. Under his breath, he muttered, Don't like your feet. Now hand me that other longer packet, the mycetracin. He applied it to a small gauze circle and gently laid it on the raw pink skin. He cut a hole in a square of moleskin and stuck it around the gauze. Okay, now the tape. He taped it down snugly, but not tight. He put a strip of duct tape over it all. There, this should help. It'll keep your toe from rubbing on the sore. Dig out some fresh socks on your sneakers. She pulled her bundle over closer and rummaged through the duffel bag. He rolled a clean sock on as gently as he could. He worked her sneaker open wide. Yeah, you better put it on yourself. You can tell better if it hurts. Go slow and don't cinch it too tight or... His words trailed off when he realized that she was staring at him with that same sad, puzzled look. He felt like a bug under a magnifying glass. What? She didn't answer. The furrows remained on her forehead while she pulled on her shoe. 
quite slowly. Does it hurt? No. Oh, well, it looks like it still hurts. The pain isn't gone, but it's better. Well, that's good. Now stand up, Martin encouraged. Put some pressure on it. Susan took a few steps. She still limped, but less. She sat down on the wall and looked at him with sad eyes, which Martin interpreted as her wanting to apologize for being weird about feet, but having a hard time finding words. He certainly knew how it felt to be at a loss for words. He sought to savor the trouble by accepting her apology in advance. I'm just glad you're feeling better. Her apology accepted, Martin studied his map. Well, if you're feeling good enough to get going again, this here is William Street, like I said. We go down that way, it crosses under 93, then we'll be in Woburn. Go up Washington Street, and there's four hotels up there that I know of, probably more. He stood up and offered Susan his hand to help her up. Susan kept her hands in her lap. Um, about that, I've been thinking. Thinking? Maybe I've been too focused on finding a hotel. Too focused? You need a place to stay. You wanted a room with a door. I know, I know, but now I'm not so sure. I feel bad that I slowed you down all this time for nothing. I really do. It's just, I think I've been too dead set against going to a shelter and I got hotel tunnel vision. I didn't think of anything else, but now I'm thinking it was a mistake and that maybe I should, um... Her voice trailed off. Martin sat back down on the wall. I don't understand. Now you don't want to find a hotel? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I'm all conflicted. What if I finally do find a hotel with a room? That makes tonight more comfortable than sleeping in the woods. But what about after that? Even if I had the money, and it wasn't a problem, this outage sounds like it'll last a whole lot longer than just a couple of nights or week. Well, will any hotel be a great place to stay in a week? Or two weeks? Martin scratched the top of his head under his cap. Hmm, probably not. Now that she mentioned it, he too was a bit too focused on getting her to a hotel and had not thought too much about the long-term fate of hotel guests themselves. Oh, sure, Susan continued, as if trying to convince herself. Hotels will have beds and doors, but they aren't food warehouses. What will people in hotels eat? What would I eat? Vending machine snacks? Those are probably gone already. Susan pointed back to the stop and shop. They won't be getting food from places like that, either. From what you were saying, in a week, they'll be picked over worse than Andrew's market was. Yeah, probably. And that's why I'm rethinking the whole hotel thing, she said. Will people be fighting over the last bit of food? What if my hotel turns out like La Quinta? Oh, I'm no fighter. I won't last long in that. Martin leaned back on his hands. Well, geez, you don't have anyone in the area to stay with, and... If you didn't want to go to a shelter, and now you don't want a hotel. Exactly. So I'm thinking maybe I don't have the luxury of rejecting the shelter option as quickly as I did. Remember that second guy on the radio back there? He said shelters would have food and showers and stuff, right? She could see Martin wincing. I know, I know you don't like shelters, she leaned forward, her chin in her hands. I don't either. But what choice do I have? I guess I'd rather have people staring at me than fighting me for a jar of olives. I suppose I could find a policeman or something and ask where the nearest shelter is. A thought flashed through Martin's mind. Lindsay's room is empty. He sat up, startled at the thought. He glanced at Susan, 
as if expecting that she had heard his thoughts. Apparently she hadn't. She was still staring across the street. He shook his head to expel the idea. It was a terrible idea. Martin was shocked that it even occurred to him at all. He recalled the long, stony silences last summer, when Dustin and his new wife Judy stayed with them after graduation. One woman should never rearrange the cupboards of another. That ought to be a rule. And then there was the summer before that, and Margaret's barely concealed irritation with that young missionary woman that stayed with them. Kathy something. One woman should never refold another woman's linens. Who cares quarters or thirds? Yeah, that ought to be a rule, too. Two hens in a nest is nothing but trouble. Partly to veto his bad idea, and partly to try to comfort Susan, he tried to talk up the idea of staying in a shelter. Well, you know, maybe I was being too hard on FEMA and their shelters. The government has to have learned a few things since Katrina, right? They probably have lots of supplies and fuel stockpiled, just like that guy said. Maybe they'll have armed guards to prevent fighting. Might not be so bad. Martin didn't think he sounded as sincere as he hoped. Susan turned to look him in the eye. Do you really believe that? Again, it was a prime opportunity to lie. He tried to suppress a hard swallow. He did not think the shelters would be good at all. Armed guards are a two-edged sword. But who was he to criticize? If she was warming up to the idea, who was he to be Mr. Negative? After all, FEMA did probably have stockpiles of food. Maybe all they had were those lame MREs, but it would be better than discarded cheeses and stale crackers. MREs. Margaret despised processed pre-cooked food. She had always been a little fanatical about cooking. She always kept a couple of months of ingredients on hand so she would never come up short on a recipe. Cooking from scratch was real cooking, and she took pride in it. She sneered at frozen dinners, MREs, or other factory food, as she called it. Fake food is for losers, she sometimes said. Of course, Martin thought, a third person in the house would use up their supply of food faster. He could stretch supplies if he scaled back on his portions. It wouldn't do him any harm to cut back on his portions anyhow. Three people wouldn't require any more firewood than two did. An oil lamp can light a room for three as well as two. Water would be different, though. Three people would require more frequent trips to the well. But with three people, the water-hauling chores would be spread out, so it would actually be a net gain. What am I doing? I'm figuring out ways to fit her in. Am I nuts? Margaret would be furious. Martin shuddered at the prospect of long, stony silences, when everything was fine, but most assuredly not fine. He suddenly realized that Susan still stared at him with a piercing gaze, waiting for an answer. Uh, what did she ask? Something about FEMA camps? She could tell that she had to repeat her question. Do you honestly believe the shelters will be okay? Why did her eyes have to be so big? He had to look away from her. No, I don't really believe that. She sat back with a heavy sigh. I didn't think so. I had my mind half made up to go if you thought it was a good move, but now I'm right back where I was, no place worth going. Maybe I'll just have to take my chances at a hotel after all. Maybe it will be okay. I don't know. As a good Samaritan, Martin felt duty-bound to complete the mission that he had volunteered for. He could not simply abandon her to the streets or to some gulag of a FEMA camp. 
The hotels probably would all devolve into La Quinta's eventually. An angry Margaret would be bad, but leaving Susan, or anyone, to face the food brawls would be worse. To abandon her to such a fate felt cowardly. He could feel his inner John Wayne glaring at him already. Better to endure the stony silences of fine than to take the coward's way out. He resolved that he would invite her to stay at his house. He pulled in a breath to speak, but stopped. He was about to invite a woman who hardly knew him to come and stay with him. How does one ask such a thing? No matter how he chose his words, it sounded incredibly creepy. Was he any different than that sweaty opportunist at Holiday Inn? This thought pushed him into a deep hole of introspection. What if he actually was a closet creep who had, up until this point, simply lacked opportunity? Do creeps even realize they are creeps? No, he decided. His intent was only to offer shelter. Nothing more. He cleared his throat. <clears throat> Look, I feel really awkward saying this, so please don't misunderstand, but we have a room at our house since the kids are gone, and, well... What? Martin rushed in the fine print disclaimers. But don't feel like you have to. I mean, it's not... I mean, it's totally up to you. It's only until things settle down here and you can come back. It's not like I... Or that I think you... You're blushing. Martin rubbed his face with both hands. Oh, man, no matter how I try to say it, I sound like that guy at Holiday Inn. What guy at Holiday Inn? Susan interrupted. The one you pushed? Yes, him. Her eyes narrowed. What about him? Martin didn't want to talk about the seedy side of events that she had avoided. She had enough on her plate without having to worry about sleazy creeps trying to jump her bones. Yet, no matter how he tried to phrase things in his mind, it always came down to some sleazy guy trying to jump her bones. He had already talked himself into a corner, so he continued, hoping that gentler words would come to mind. Well, there was this sweaty guy in the lobby, and he heard me telling the clerk that you had no place to stay. You were sort of in shock or something because your house had burned down and all. So this sweaty guy figured to... He was offering for you to stay in his room, uh, with him. What? Susan sat up tall and peered as if she could see the Holiday Inn from where she sat. He, he did? I, I don't remember any of that. Well, I didn't think so. You were kind of shook up, all thoughts all jumbled. Martin's jaw muscle tightened and his eyes narrowed. He could see that. He was hoping to smooth-talk his way into... Oh, that really burned me up. Why? Well, what did he say? It doesn't matter. A guy can tell when... He walked really fast, and he got up to you first, and... And then you pushed him and rushed me out the door. That much I remember. Martin's hands formed fists. Oh, I wanted to do a whole lot more than push him. I can tell you that. It all happened so fast. I had no idea all that went on. They sat in silence for a long time. Martin wondered why he had such a knack for painting himself into corners. Why was he so tongue-tied? He had spoken before scowling boards of directors and kept his cool. He had even given conference lectures before scores of people and never broken a sweat. Why was he all of a sudden so flustered? Susan looked off into the distance. This is like something from a movie, she said, mostly to herself where the hero rushes in and rescues the girl from... Rescued? Martin was shocked out of his dark thoughts. Well, geez, I, I don't know about rescued. I mean, 
Well, it was just, he had no right to think that he, I'm sure you would have seen through his schemes before he, I couldn't just leave you there. You're blushing again. Martin turned away and waved his arms in the air, attempting to erase the topic. Never mind, never mind about all that. What I'm trying to say is, you're welcome to come and stay at our house until this mess is sorted out. A couple of weeks, whatever. That's all. You can leave whenever you want to. I don't want you to think that I'm some sort of creep like him. I'm not trying... I'm not trying... Martin slumped, head in his hands. He gave up talking. If there were gentler words for a ravaging, he couldn't think of them. If it helps, she said softly. I don't think that. Martin blew out a long sigh. <sighs> Thanks. It helps. A little. But I still feel all kinds of awkward. I couldn't think of any other good options for you, either. I think the shelters will be bad. Hotels will be bad. Then I thought, oh, hey, I have an empty room. But that's as far as it goes. I swear. Nothing more. Oh, don't worry about it. I believe you only meant well. If I didn't, I wouldn't have accepted. You, you what? Martin thought she was in the preamble of politely declining. Part of him had hoped that she would decline so he wouldn't have to deal with an upset Margaret. Another part of him couldn't imagine why any woman in her right mind would agree to such an outlandish offer. Oh, you'll, you'll come to my house? It still did not compute. Yes. Uh, yeah, but why? Why? We just got done agreeing that hotels and shelters were bad options. Are you changing your mind? No, no, you're still welcome, if you want to, but I expected you to say no. Why didn't you say no? I mean, how can you be so sure I'm not actually a sleazy weirdo? No, you're not a weirdo. A girl can tell. These past two days have been totally bizarre. People getting rude and downright violent. But you've been, well, you haven't been like everyone else. You've been the one stable thing I've seen in all of this. I feel like I'm better off going with you than staying here. Oh, yeah, but still, I'm sure you will be a proper gentleman. She leveled a stern gaze at him that must come from maternal instinct. He felt like a kid picking up his date for the freshman dance. Well, of course, but gentlemanly behavior aside, walking to New Hampshire won't be easy. It's a long way to go and probably means sleeping in the woods again. Are you sure you're okay with that? Well, you were planning to do it. Her tone was both a statement and a challenge. Well, yes, but you said it was crazy. Yeah, I guess I did. Sorry. I think I understand better now. And not to sound all liberated, she made air quotes, but if you figured you could walk it, I think I can too, even with a blister. Martin chuckled. He had to admire her attitude. It took Spunk to agree to venture off into the vast unknown, with her few worldly possessions trailing behind her. There must have been a bit of pioneer blood in her. Keep in mind that it'll be kind of simple up there without power. At least you'll have a room with a door. You're welcome to stay until they get things back to normal down here. Susan smiled a little smile and touched his arm. Thanks, Martin. He could feel his face getting hot again, so he stood up, put on his backpack. <clears throat> yeah, well, you're welcome. Uh, we'd better get going. Uh, we need to get as far north as we can before dark. Thanks for listening. You can check out all of the books of the Siege of New Hampshire series at mickroland.com. That's M-I-C-R-O-L-A-N-D dot com. Thanks again.